Good morning. How do you spell morning? Is it the M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G or the M-O-R-N and so on? I'm not sure how you spell it, but let me try it again. Good morning. morning. That sounds a little more enthusiastic. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 3. On Tuesday, we were talking about James 4 and verse 8. Let us draw nigh that great spiritual privilege that becomes a sacred promise. And I will draw, or God will draw near to you. What are the consequences of drawing near to the Lord or being near to him? Well, it affects our character. And we talked a little bit about character yesterday from the life of Daniel as he went through the various paces of his earthly journey and ministry and some of the challenges that he faced. Drawing near to the Lord will also affect the way we speak as part of our character, part of our our behavior, part of what makes us who we are. I'd like you to follow with me as we look at these few verses in this chapter, keeping in mind that these are God-breathed words. They are written to us individually and us corporately, and they are, of course, far more important than anything that we could say about these words. So just follow with me just quickly. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, enable also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, 
then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Some years ago, I was walking around on campus, going somewhere, and I happened to meet a couple. Now, this is before your time here, so I'm not talking about anybody here. And this couple was in the moment of expressing affection one to the other. I'll leave the rest to your imagination. And I happened to walk around the corner. And they suddenly changed their position. I'm not saying that to mock them or for any negative bad thing. What I am saying is that somebody's presence interrupted and affected their behavior. And I think you can identify with that. I'd like to consider being near to God and how it affects our behavior and the use of our tongue. The things we say and the things we we decline to say. Now in the context of the passage that we've just read, James was writing, of course, by Holy Spirit inspiration, but writing to people, people who were believers. And he was writing to them with a view of helping them, not criticizing them, not looking at them as if they've got three heads, but looking at them as dear brothers and dear sisters. He's writing to the 12 tribes of Israel that were scattered all over a wide geographic area, people who faced trials and temptations, people that he loved. And so he was going to address some of the issues, the things and challenges that they faced for their betterment. He loved them. He cared for them. He was looking perhaps ahead in his own mind to that time when they would stand at the judgment seat and their lives would be examined and their words would be evaluated, their tongue. We consider how he went about doing that. I'd like you just to go back a page or so to chapter 1. And in verse 2, he refers to them as my brethren, dear brothers and sisters. And then in verse 19, in the same chapter, he calls them my beloved brethren. So they weren't just people, they were dear to him. People that he cared for and cared for very, very deeply. He didn't just whip out his sword and say, all of you blockheads have got some real serious issues in your life and you need to get on your knees and repent quickly. He created a platform from which he could address these things. You might look at verse 3 of chapter 1. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, that your faith is being refined. That was a compliment. That was an encouragement to them. So he's not addressing an issue in their lives without a platform, without a background or a context, and he's not doing it because he's angry or because he's got some kind of private agenda. He's doing it out of ministry of love. A love, first of all, for the Lord, and then out of that flowing a love for other people. 
Now in our chapter, he reminds us that we, in using the language of Scripture, we offend all. That's serious. Sometimes we offend because we intend to. And sometimes we offend not intentionally, but accidentally, unwittingly. Sometimes our best intentions come out awkward, and what we intend for good is perceived as being harmful and painful. The text of Scripture says, we offend all. Now, with that thought in mind, notice what he says in verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters. That word masters, that's the term didaskalos, and it's the Greek word for teachers. He says, my brethren, be not many teachers. Why? Knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, because with greater privilege comes greater responsibility. So he's suggesting to them that they need to give heed to what they say and what they do and don't take that position that they know everything and they're about to correct everybody and straighten everybody else out. There are two things that I'd like to address very simply this morning. First of all, that our tongues are naturally troubled. And I see that in the first 12 verses of our chapter. By nature, by our sin nature, by habit, by culture, by upbringing, by personality, by so many different ways, our tongues are naturally troubled. And perhaps that's the simplest and easiest way to express our tongues. The book in the Bible that addresses the tongue the most is the book of Psalms. And that's the book that addresses devotion, prayer, fellowship with the Lord, repentance, confession of sin. That, that's the book that's the, the devotional book of the Bible, so to speak. But it's there that the tongue is addressed 30 times. And that is suggestive of the fact that out of our devotional life should come the regulation of our tongue and the things that we say. James mentions the tongue five times in these five chapters. Proverbs talks about the tongue as well and gives us some very good advice. I'd like to read just a few verses. You don't need to turn to it. I wrote them down just for time's sake. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness, poureth out. You might think of a broken pipe or a fountain of water, just pouring out water. In front of the Victoria General Hospital in Halifax, there's a fountain. And somebody took a box of laundry soap and dumped it in. You can imagine the result, just bubbles and bubbles and bubbles pouring out And I think of that when I read of Proverbs 15 too. The mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. In Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. Now we may think about that for a moment and pass off and not give it a second thought. But just think of Alice in Wonderland for a moment. And the Queen of Hearts saying to Alice, or saying to others about her, off with her head. 
Well, that's just a silly story. Emphasis on silly. However, is that not is not that sentiment shared over and over again today? Yes, it is. We may not, not say off with her head, but we may discredit and write off individuals glibly and foolishly with a careless use of the tongue. Proverbs twenty one twenty three says, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. That's why our tongue is said to be naturally troubled. We read in Psalm 139, For there is not a word in my tongue, but, lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. God knows every word that crosses our lips. Now, I'd like you to notice with me in our text, looking at James chapter 3. For in many things we offend all. And if we don't, it's because we're mature. We're balanced. We've grown up. We've developed some spiritual integrity and and quality in our life. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of Job. This past summer, I spent a lot of time reading and rereading the book of Job. Job in chapter 6 asks the question, and he asked a total, presented 315 questions in his 42 chapters. One of his questions was, is there iniquity in my tongue? And it's posed in such a way as to get a negative answer. No, no, there's nothing wrong with what you're saying. But later on in the chapter, in the book, in chapter 40 and verse 4, when Job came face to face near the Lord, what were his words then? He said, I am vile. What was the difference? The recognition was the near presence of God in his life. What was theory had become reality in a personal and greater and experiential way. If I don't stop wandering, I'm never going to deliver all that I've prepared, which I seldom do anyhow. But in any case, look at verse 2. By nature, our tongue is divisive. By nature. That's the way it works. In many things we offend all, intentionally and accidentally. An uncontrolled tongue is a symptom that there are other things in one's life that are not right. Your tongue is the window into your soul. It reflects what is deep down in your heart. You let a person talk for long enough and they will expose their heart to you, even if they try not to. Listen to the conversation and the content of that man or woman's heart will become evident. Now the thought behind offending all is that we call, cause others to stumble. That can be looked metaphorically in a moral sense or it can be looked at in a, in a practical, tangible sense. But in, in many ways we offend cause others to stumble. The natural use of our tongue is divisive. It is also, in verses 3 down through 6, destructive. We put horses, we put a bit in a horse's mouth. Some years ago, my, my daughter was really interested in taking horse riding lessons. 
And I watched her as a nine-year-old walk up to some great big animal and put a bit in its mouth. Here's this nine-year-old little girl leading this powerful horse around because it's got a piece of steel put in between its jaws. What is our tongue like? Our tongue is destructive. It's got enormous power. It has the power of life and death. We put a bit in a horse's mouth to control the animal. In the same way, our tongue is like a powerful animal, but it needs to be controlled because it's destructive. I was at a restaurant on one occasion, and a truck drove up, and they had a great big black horse on the back of that truck. That horse was not happy. It did not want to be on the back of that truck, and it let that displeasure be known, and it kicked with its back legs and just smashed the sides on the truck. It was a very powerful animal, but it was out of control. Our tongue is like that. You might consider with me also in verse 4 that a small rudder directs a ship. You may think of an ocean-going vessel or one on the Great Lakes carrying thousands and thousands of tons of grain or ore or various produce, and yet it's controlled by a very small rudder. How our tongue needs to be governed or the damage could be beyond calculation. Verse 5, he talks about a little fire kindling a great forest fire. In the church that we served in, there was a gentleman who had a kind of a hobby farm, and he'd gotten his hay in one year, and he went in his barn, his hay barn, and he flipped the light switch, and there was a spark in that light switch that ignited the whole barn. In just a matter of a minute or two, that whole hay barn was a mass of flames just from a little spark. A little word, a careless word, can do damage beyond calculation. Scripture calls the tongue a world of iniquity. It's kind of hard to translate what was actually being said, but as I understand it, what James was conveying is that that tongue may dress up evil and make evil look like a good thing, as if it would be something desirable. The tongue can be defiling. Verse 6, defiling, staining, damaging, wounding, producing grief and, and heartache. Leviticus 19 and verse 16 admonishes us not to go up and down the land as a talebearer. Psalm 31, verse 13, David heard slander, people slandering others and perhaps himself. In 1 Corinthians 10.10, we are told not to murmur things that we must govern in our tongues. We are not to bear false witness. We are to speak no evil, not to run down to disparage individuals. Our tongue, just like that horse or the ship or that little spark, needs to be governed and needs the governing of God's word. It is deadly. In verses 7 and 8, we can tame elephants and lions and dogs and dolphins and all kinds of creatures, but we cannot tame the tongue. Our tongue is deceitful. In verses 9 down through 12, we can say nice things about God. Men can write lofty things about God. They can profess great love for God and then turn around and take another human being and burn them at the stake. 
What a tragedy. Fig trees don't produce olive berries. A tongue governed by the Lord is going to reflect that. It will produce good fruit. But I'd like you to see a transformed tongue just very quickly. We know from from Matthew 12 and verse 34 that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A transformed tongue will evidence humility. And I see that in verse 13. Meekness of wisdom. Humility. Humility is the product of being near the Lord. Folks, when we consider the greatness of who God is in his being, in his power, in his wisdom, in his holiness, there is no room for pride. No room for egotism. But there is only room for humility. A tongue that lives in the fellowship of the Son of God will be marked with humility. In verse 14, it will be marked with honesty. No bitter envying. A desire to promote self, to enhance one's state of affairs, there will be honesty. How do we have an honest heart? Well, Proverbs twenty three twenty six gives us that advice, where he says, My son, my daughter, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. There will be humility, there will be honesty. And there will be harmony. And I see that in verses 15 down through 18 in this chapter. It will be marked with harmony, marked with heavenly wisdom that is pure, that is peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy. That's harmony. Well, our time is gone. And I would like you just to bow your heads with me just for a moment. Proverbs 10 and verse 20 we learn that the tongue of the just is as choice silver. Do I have a silver tongue? The tongue of the just is as silver. Our Father, we thank you for the loving kindness that lies behind James chapter 3. Help us to be those who know what it is to have a tongue that is transformed, that isn't exercising its natural awfulness. Help us to be those who are marked with humility, who are marked with that godly harmony and honesty. Help us to be faithful to you in how we use our tongue and how we refrain from using it, that our words may edify and not wound. For we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.